Hello and welcome to Zero Points Articulated, a podcast. <laughs> 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 All right, a podcast about, I guess, making more work for our editor. <laughs> <laughs> we also talk about anime too, I guess. I'm Jimmy. I'm Rob. I'm Brendan. And Eric is dead this week. He's dead Rest to us. In peace. Uh, he fell victim to uh, the greatest conspiracy of our time, uh, big pharma and vaccines. You know, not to get too political, but I think uh, they're going out of their way to try to make Americans more healthy, and I think we need to put a stop to it. Yeah. Disclaimer. <laughs> the views of Rob do not uh, reflect the views of Zero Points Articulated. Uh, and just because Eric is weak and natural selection is coming for him doesn't mean that the vaccine isn't a good a public good <laughs> oh, i mean it is and that's why we need to stop it <laughs> actually you know what can i tell my covid shot story yeah yeah is i heard about people getting laid out by the second shot but no one told me there was like a delay so like for the 12 hours since i got the shot i was legit just like yeah that shot was no big deal it's nothing i'm built different <laughs> and then like 12 hours later literally after we watched the monster hunter movie i just feel like oh I'm shivering. That's weird. Maybe I'll just like get up and get a cover, and then I like get up and I just feel all my joints are just like no. Are you sure it was like a COVID reaction and not just a reaction to the Monster Hunter movie? It could have been both, really. <laughs> I made the horrible mistake of watching a video breakdown of what was wrong with the um, Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy um, after my second shot. At the end, of course, I was feeling chills and all the fun with that. And I basically had a bizarre nightmare where I basically imagined that Fifty Shades of Grey was crossing over with Thunderbolt Fantasy and that all everything that was going wrong in that was just some machination by Bait Duck. Okay, wait, <laughs> wait. That's a hell of a waking nightmare. Oh, yeah, no, it was <laughs> one, of the, one of the least pleasant experiences of my life. So... Like, you guys have that, like, moment where, like, sometimes you wake up and, like, you were in the middle of a dream. You know you're not in the dream anymore, but, like, you're thinking about the day and you're just like, oh, no, all these weird dream things that I had to do are still things I have to do today. Rob, I've I've definitely had that experience where it's just like, yeah, no, this, this dream logic, this is reality, this is actually happening to me, and, oh, God, this is just going to happen forever. Man, this is now a podcast about dreams. About dreams. And the people who want to live in dreams and maybe are content with a lie, which is my very smooth transition, seamless transition into Jorah, the princess of snow and blood. The best seamless transitions are the ones that you mention as being extremely seamless. Okay, I was, I was so proud of that transition that I had to like mention, I did not plan that. That was just a natural conclusion to the conversation that bled in to a really cool line of dialogue we got. And then in your self-satisfaction, you had to ruin it. Ruin it. Man, I had to revel in it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we finished book two, guys. It was kind of wild, like, after, like, the kind of combat-heavy book one, like, book two had, like, one fight in it. Yeah, this is definitely shaped up to not be a Monster of the Week series and more of a character drama. I'm still not sure how good of a character drama it is. I mean, it's not great as a character drama. But it's flashy and stylish. 
Yeah, and it's very Japanese. Very. Like, the imagery is so Japanese. It's also thematically very Japanese. I mean, what show can you imagine someone just being like, my friend is dead, my revenge is gone, it's time to walk into the ocean. (laughs) I feel like when they sat down and wrote the series, they looked at each character and was like, okay, our, our... Goal for this series is we are not allowed to have any good people survive past an episode. And I don't count Asahi. I'm kind of alright with her being dead. <laughs> I I don't know how I put this in the words. Yeah, I just didn't like Asahi. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter if you liked Asahi or not. It's not like her character arc had some huge payoff. She just died. <laughs> kind of died, yeah. Kind of. It's like I was kind of getting like, they're not just going to kill Asahi, are they? For like no reason. Whenever Suki was like, I should have just killed you. And it's like, yo, I get you're on drugs, but you're out of your goddamn mind right now. No, no, no. no. Let's talk about uh, Suki for a second. Um, my, my man, my main man, my main trans man. What the fuck was he even doing? He gave Asahi this whole convoluted plan, which Asahi like nailed down to the fucking letter. And then he walks up to where they're hiding, and he's like, you guys succeeded? I'm now angry. I'm now going to murder, like, three or four people. How dare you be happy? <laughs> I think the thing that tilted me wasn't even that. It was just, like, the leader of the organization being like, yeah, I know where she is. And it's like, you only know where she is because the plot needs you to be, like, some, like, aloof, mysterious bastard that has, like, everything up in the air. We have been literally given no reason to believe that you should have all of this information until, like, maybe the last scene where, like, they revealed, oh, yeah, the old shrine keeper was dead under the floorboard, and it was, like, his person working the shrine. But how the fuck did he know to put that person? Like, (laughs) it's, like, it's supposed to be, like, oh, yes, you're so magnificent and, like, big brain. It's, like, no, dude, this is, like, this character is, like, ass pulls the character. That's the thing is, like, this show is such a, like, mixed bag. Like, like overall, I'd say it's good, but would I ever show it to anybody? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I probably would never watch this again. If at this point you're like, oh, I'm listening to random podcasts to see what I should watch, probably don't watch this. Like, at this point, I'm invested enough to, like, finish it out, but don't be like me. <laughs> Do better than me. Whereas, I- I'm just a little, like peeved at the show for you know having suki's transformation have boobs <laughs> i mean unfortunately japan is still japan <laughs> yeah i i understand it just i'm disappointed <laughs> yeah i mean like i think another thing is uh i i'm kind of I, it's weird like when you have a protagonist you want your protagonist to have agency in the world and I feel like literally every plot element of this series is, like, literally created to take away any agency that Yukimura could have over her own life. And I get that that's kind of, like, the point, but I just really don't enjoy the way they're doing it. I was hoping that, like, this part would go, I guess, a lot slower. Yeah. Like, have the threat of her getting pulled back into some revenge quest stretch on for a while longer, and then not just, like, everyone's dead all of a sudden. What choices has she had at all? It's like, I mean, like, if we're gonna, like, go full in on here, like, 
it's like the uh it's like it's the hollywood thing where it's like oh yeah we want these like strong female character leads but like oftentimes like their strength or like their agency in their own story is like removed in some way and they become like slaves to fate or like the whims of some horrible man in their life or some horrible system that they've been dragged into but at least even in that you should still have choices and the only choice that i think that she's had in the entirety of this story or two choices are and that they've allowed her to have is that she chose to adopt asahi after she murdered her parents and that she decided not to kill suki even though that didn't really end up mattering because the bird came down and <laughs> taking her. her agency away. And it wasn't just the bird, it was the dude, the asshole dude, that I'm really now deciding that I actively hate because, like, he's not a character, he's, like, a story element. He just happens. He just happens. He shows up and it's like, ah, yes, my big brain plan. I have planned for all of this, including your betrayal. <laughs> hey, at least the show allowed pregnant woman to to retire no no no. she's on screen again which means she's free to die she's helping out with the last job she's yeah. free to die she's not safe because she didn't stay off screen you know how this works brendan well if i stop watching this series right now she's <laughs> she lives no because you go one last job and tropes tropes dictate someone's dying yeah, on this that's last a pretty job. big flag yeah that's a huge flag F in chat. <laughs> because, like, who would have a better death flag than a soldier? And, man, rest in peace. I mean, it's pretty big brain to sacrifice yourself for a dude who's impaled and currently dying. Yeah. It's amazing how good Mars Red has been. Oh, my God. It just builds on itself. Again, it's this is part of the reason why I'm as unsparing with Duran as I am is that Mars Red is, you know, it's similar wheelhouse, like kind of alternate history, you know, Taisho era, you know, maybe not with the whole Tokugawa thing, but these these are characters who definitely have agency, whose motivations build on each other, and where everything matters, and there's res like you have a character whose resolution happened in the first episode, but who's like the depths of which we've been learning throughout the entirety of the show. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I was completely shook when we found out Misaki was uh, Nakajima's uh, daughter. Dude. I thought, like, all the interaction in the first episode where it's this, like, where he's like, can we use this vampire? Like, not saying the name and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, maybe he doesn't know that this is, like, secretly, like, Maida's, like, fiance. And, like, I feel like Mars Red is, like, the type of series where if you just, like, watch the first episode over and over again, there's just so much to find. It's one of those things that's been quite a shock. Like, last time we talked about this show, you know, it was one of those things where we are like, okay, watch the first episode. You know, if nothing else, watch the, first, the gorgeous first episode. But that first episode wasn't just a throwaway like I was kind of afraid it was. It's a bedrock that this entire show has been built upon and has continued to build upon like, has made this show way better than it has any right to be. Vampires in Japan. Why am I crying? (laughs) This show about starting the vampire unit of the Japanese military. And then it's like, oh no, they made the vampire unit, please stop. (laughs) 
It's like I feel like um it might just be like the government and like doing shady shit, but got a little bit of like the full metal vibe there. So that's cool. Like I actually really like even like with like the terrible shit he did to his unit, because I'm like ninety percent sure when they were drinking the sake they weren't entirely aware they were gonna be vampired. <laughs> but uh even with what he did to his unit, I respect the shit out of his goals. Mm-hmm. Well, I do and I don't. Like it's it's interesting because obviously he 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 doesn't want people to die anymore in war, yeah. And because he understands that you know war is just the way that you sacrifice an entire generation of people. But I think there's like two inherent flaws. The first off is that he's insane. Well, <laughs> no, I mean yes, he's he's a mad scientist. Like basically, he's a, you know basically mad scientist, and um, Miyazaki is the mad scientist's beautiful daughter. Like. There is that trope kind of in play, even though we didn't know it was in play. Yeah. But the things that that I kind of sort of pick apart about this is that, first off, the you know how you you prevent wasting an entire generation of men on war, just don't do war. Don't be an imper uh, a dumb imperialist nation who tries to take over the entirety of Asia. Ah, but that's the thing. <laughs> he he covered this in his uh, whole reasoning for doing this. He can't stop war. You can't change it because old men will always not care about the price of young lives. He's got you beat there, Brendan. You can't just stop war. Well, yeah, and especially he he, he understands, like he himself says, I can't stop Japan from walking down the wrong path. Yeah. So, okay, granted that. (laughs) Second, but the second point, I guess there's really three, is that by, you know, poisoning this entire battalion of young men into being vampires, he has effectively prevent him from ever going home again so he has in fact destroyed the lives of a generation of young men are you calling them the sacrifices brendan because i'll have you know they're <laughs> heroes which oh yes of course he, he, he himself has this argument but that's the that's the thing where i'm i'm gonna get very political here for a moment i mean it's a very political show so feel free I think there's no meaningful difference. Calling them heroes is the way you allow yourself to sleep at night for sacrificing people. It's what we've seen over the course of the pandemic with essential workers. It's what we've seen, you know, what we see during war. It's how you sleep at night, but there's no meaningful difference. I mean, every single one of those soldiers might as well be called Garma. I don't know. Like, this is what happens when, like, a dude loses, like, all of his soldiers. He's just like, I can't see this happen again, and then does it himself. <laughs> and also, all of his soldiers, and then like, hey, the project you're working on, we're cutting funding in a couple months. Yeah. No, no. It goes from, we're cutting your funding in a year, to, you have until the end of the month, until to, we've already ended the program, why are you doing this? <laughs> that dude, like, saw the future that he was, like, fighting for just slip away in front of him, and went crazy. And I can respect that. Especially when he gets out of the car at, like, the end of that episode. Uh-huh. And, like, kids are saluting him, and he salutes them back and calls them future generals of Japan. This man's all about the future. Like, man, complex villains. That's what makes it all a tragedy. Because Mars Red cannot have a happy ending. Well, what are what about our, our boy, the vampire showed up? Defraught? Yeah. Man, <laughs> I think this series is going for, like, a Shakespearean a- aspect where, like, there's usually, like, a narrator or some kind of, like, outside observer that has minimal influence on the story. And so far, he's kind of been that. Well, 
I mean, there's that, but there's also like a couple aspects which you know obviously they the show makes active references to both uh oscar wilde and shakespeare you know as you know two two noted famous playwrights who were very good at playing with the idea of state of stage and the play as a construction itself mm-hmm. one of the things that it seems like he's very clearly doing is that he understands that in this story he has a role to play and like he's sort of leaned into that even if it's not what his actual motivations are like like he sort of plays around with Maeda to be like oh hey I'm the one who turned your fiance into a vamp and I was right standing right here when I did it in this sort of like mocking like I am Dracula sort of way as like this sort of way of pushing Maeda forward even though his actual motivations for doing these things were more like okay this very nice woman is dying she wants to see her lover one last time before she for the first time okay yes for the first time before you know she dies and this is my opportunity to do this and like he's ultimately i think a sympath you know he has sympathetic motivations but he's going to play the role of a heel because he understands as an actor that's his role in the story because no matter, like, Maida's going to low-key hate him, no matter what. So he might as well be the figure, you know, the hate, the hated figure in this tale. Alright, but I'm looking the buff vampire Maida. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Man, Mars Red is really good. So opposite of Duran, like, if you're gonna listen, if you're gonna watch anything from, like, the five shows we're watching, watch, like, four of them. <laughs> and Mars Red should be, like, near the top of the list. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. Like, Mars Red is just, it's just good. It's just, it, I can't qualify it anymore. It's just a good show. Watch it. Like, I hope it's six landing. But, mm-hmm. like, given how they've actually structured things, I have confidence that they will. Speaking of shows I do have some level of confidence on, Dinosaur's been doing pretty all right. Yeah. Like, on some level, this is what I expect out of a toku made by Trigger. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's great. Yeah, it, it's... Can I be honest with you, boys? Uh-huh. Sure. I am super medium about Dinazenon. Really? I yeah. think it's entertaining and, like, not bad. I mean, it's... It's alright. Like, if you want to watch cool fights and, like, interesting characters, like, watch this trigger show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it is thoroughly a trigger show, and it is more gridman like Gridman Remix. They've further invited the comparisons at this point by throwing Anti and um, the second in in the mix. So, you know, hey, mm-hmm. we now have these actual tangible, like, <laughs> hooks to the original anime and, you know, to the greater, you know, Gridman mythos. It's technically more Gridman than the Gridman anime because of how much more hooks there are through the Tokusatsu series. <laughs> Which, yeah, is or, fair. Well, I guess how obvious they are in dinosaur whereas you kind of had to figure things out back in gridman like to like the very end i actually like the character drama in dinosaur better than i liked it in gridman um where like i think most of the weight of what was actually going on in terms of like drama that i actually cared about was with the villain whereas the main character in gridman was kind of he was sympathetic but he was pretty much basic 
Japanese protagonist. <laughs> and, I mean, there's still one of those in this series, but A, he's way more part of everyone's life in this one, and also, I think everyone else has some interesting character motivations, uh, even ones that I think are more under the surface, um, such as um, the middle school dropout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the good side of Gridman, (laughs) the good side of Dinozenon, and like the thing that like kind of keeps me coming back is like some of the subtle emotional things that they're doing. Like, I just love that there's this like plot line that Yomogi's not talking to anybody about, about how like his mom is going through like this obvious like, remarriage process and like he's hating like every second of it and he hasn't said a fucking word to anyone about that and i'm waiting for the other shoe to drop on that and like this most recent episode uh what was it episode eight we watched yeah this whole thing about like basically this harmless ass kaiju and like staring him in the eyes as he like vaporized it and like hadn't even like killed anybody and it showed like no intention to man that's a that's a definite complex moment that i'm glad he feels the type of way about i think obviously the most loud thing in the room about dinosaur is the is minami's plot plot line where they're you know finding out about her sister and her very likely suicide yeah there's definitely some subtlety and nuance like you know for instance like with the discovery of the prank video where you honestly don't know what's going on as audience you you know as much as the character does which is this video if you're assuming the worst is would seem incredibly cruel next level torture but if Minami's sister was in on it and was part of the joke then it's just completely harmless it's a harmless video that everyone got had fun making but we don't know and like how that affects the characters and has them spiral out of control during the the course of those couple of episodes is interesting even if it is does lead to i think one of your bigger complaints about this rob which is trigger keeps making the same relationship happen (laughs) yeah it's like okay trigger i get that it happens they're like yo people aren't talking to each other so like misunderstandings pile up and they got all these feelings and like I get this happens, but people fucking talk to each other. <laughs> like, not at age 16, though. Like, it, am, am I just built different? Like, what? I didn't have these problems at age 16. <laughs> Where? Honestly, Rob, I had these problems at 19, and I was a bit of a late bloomer. But we could have the more harmless no-one's-talking conversations, like the churro one at the pool. I That was amazing. <laughs> Like, that was social awkwardness at its finest. <laughs> that was like, I, I'm watching this scene where she's just eating a churro, and it's just like, please give me more of this. I have to say, the pool was actually, like, a lo- low-key, like, a gem of an episode. Like, I just love the pool guy, and his, like, power. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with being, like, lawful good. <laughs> Anybody can yell at you for breaking a rule, and you feel bad. I think I realize why I'm so meeting about Dinozenon just now, though. I feel like I would love this series so much if the Dinozenon elements were removed from it, and it was just a story about two friends trying to hunt down, like, information about, like, yo, why is my sister dead, and, like, re- resolving that. Like, I would love that as a full series. And, like, they're doing the thing where, like, the Dinozenon parts are, like, the things that, like, bring them together. And I kind of appreciate 
that from like a darling in the Franks perspective. But like, I feel like the two shows sometimes get in each other's ways. <laughs> and I'm just like, when I'm getting into one plot, it's like, ring, 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 monster of the week is here. Can we just have a week where we don't fight a monster and we just focus on this plot that has the actual emotional core happening? Whereas, look, first off, how often are we going to get super robot shows these days, Rob? I'm I'm taking what I can get. <laughs> Damn, I was expecting a flat-out disagreement with the tone he was taking. I didn't expect that. Well, no, no. Now I, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> second, you know, the success of Gridman had basically the series that they need to make is the series that they need to make. And, you know, the story that the, that the creators probably want to tell is the story that the creators want to tell. And you do have this sort of weird compromise where you, you have a story about, you know, two two teenagers awkwardly falling in love while they explore someone's suicide put into this giant robot series that they have to make because the first series was successful. I, I feel like what you just said to me right now is that not everything can be Mars Red. And <laughs> I, under, I understand that sentiment. Dime is on is a competent show. It's better than Jaron, well, like, by, by leagues. Well, and that's yeah. the thing I'm about to say here, is that at least this show has an emotional core. <laughs> I, I think you mean at least these characters are allowed to be characters and have agency <laughs> in their world. No, no, I, I'm even going to say this right now about Jaron, like, not to go back to it, but one of the things about the blatant murder of Asahi is that which I'm still low key celebrating. Which you're low key <laughs> celebrating. You're you're celebrating it, but that that kind of exposes like how hollow Jaron is in that if Asahi is just a character who we were waiting to die until the end of the sec the second act, there is no emotional care core to the show. I mean it's like her brother dies in her arms like you have a reason to be alive, Asahi's there, and it's like, Alright, Asahi's dead now. <laughs> Four episodes later, 180. You just have to live now. There's no reason. You don't need a reason. You just have to live because everything that happened justifies your current state of living. And it's like, okay. <laughs> and I guess this jerk bird won't let you die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that jerk ass bird kept her alive, even though it didn't like stay in consult. Man, birds are jerks. Like, just fuck, fuck birds. Whereas, Dinosaur on, there's nothing I can say that's actually wrong with it. It's, yeah. I know. It's a good. It's a good show. It's just the. I do understand your complaint that why is it not a great show, and I think you're valid for your explanation on it. I do also think it is just that this is just more Gridman. Like it's it, it's yeah. It's like the like you know how well, like I, I, I don't it, have as many negative things yeah. to say about it. It's just but like I think with Dinazenon more so than Gridman is just like the Dinazenon parts. You pro you'd probably have so much more appreciation for them if you watched the Tokusatsu Gridman series. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I think it's also, like, I guess the way I think about Dinazon is kind of like this. You know how, like, back in the day, they you know, there would be a new Call of Duty game or Madden game? Please don't compare it to that, because that's going to make it actively worse. <laughs> no, 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 but <laughs> what I mean by this is that, you know, it's like, we're talking, like, the more, like, art giant robot version. Oh, like, man. That, that basically it's. This ain't a good look, Brendan. No, this this isn't a good look, and I'm I'm making it I'm making this very clear that the way this feels like to me is that you've already enjoyed a really good thing, and this is like this is Gridman 2021. So this is just Assassin's Creed all over again. You're telling me to stop watching now before it goes bad. 
Hey, no, no, no. Watch the end of the season. We'll see what happens in the future. Also, this can't be Assassin's Creed because the first Assassin's Creed game, super boring. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it's Call of Duty like zombies or something. I've never played a Call of Duty game, by the way. I was going to say this is Modern (laughs) Warfare (laughs) 2. I think I just outed myself pretty hard there. (laughs) You know what also, even though it's really great, feels like... You know, the, just the 2021 version of something that we previously got in Shadow's House. Oh, man. I, I'd probably say I have more positive feelings about Shadow's House than maybe Dinozenon. And that makes it sound like I have negative feelings about Dinozenon. <laughs> but, like, I, I would fully recommend it. It's a fun show. If you like, like, cool fights and stuff like that, watch Dinozenon. But I feel like I have some kind of mental block about, like, fully embracing Shadow's House. And I think it's because Cloverworks is this poisoned forever in my mind <laughs> well you have a pretty as infamous infamously bad of a season two as promise neverland it does kind of put a damper on future works that are working in similar space like imperiled children this yeah. the show mm-hmm. but i do think that it's one of those things where like shadow house is compelling and compelling enough unlike both art aesthetic and content grounds that i'm willing to push past like occasionally you know sunrise fucks up gundam like really very frequently i i would i would actually say there's more like kind of bad gundam out there than like good i'd I'd say it leans more towards like kind of good mostly kind of (laughs) good occasionally great okay you know a few see destinies here sometimes a robot has actual feathery wings that's that, that I consider that in the kind of good, and <laughs> you can get the fuck up out of my house, Brendan. <laughs> well, look, look, look. Here's the thing: is Gundam Wing is an aesthetic masterpiece. <laughs> Does it make any fucking sense? What, what what is that line? I'm at the brink of convincing myself to possibly take uh, responsibility for tall geese. Is, <laughs> is that the line? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it was close to being that dumb. <laughs> yeah well like i mean like shadows house season one so far has been really good um it's got like the type of like aesthetic and things where like i know blu-ray cells are gonna be decent enough we're gonna get a season two and i don't know if i can bring it in myself to be excited about the slideshow presentation that will be the rest of the manga that is season two <laughs> i think you gotta sort of consider there was a couple things that went wrong specifically with promise Everline. i think we've been over this a little bit but <laughs> I do think a lot of it is just trying to adapt too much material in that second season. Yeah. And also just very specifically that the show that they were presenting was never actually the manga. That they were trying to make something, a thriller like Perfect Insider with children. And that kind of fit for the first part of the manga, but it didn't quite work. I rescind the get out of my house comment from earlier for mentioning the perfect insider. (laughs) (laughs) More people should probably watch that show. That was a really great one-off detective series. I don't know. I I, I feel like one thing, and I, I I guess I'm just in a negative mood today since I'm bringing up another gripe. I think it is bizarre. It's like all hell. That it's like, okay, you lose points for your like faces thinking independently and taking action. So, like, the whole core of this debut is your face is independently taking action to save you <laughs> and displaying their problem-solving ability. And it's like, what? 
the whole like thing you're setting up is that these characters are not supposed to have agency and it's supposed to be like some kind of like weird fucked up like slave world situation. Maybe that's the mix up. And the mix up is I guess you need to be more competent than your masters. I don't know. Like I think this arc is cool, but it's like cool in the way of like QAnon, where like, man, this is pretty wild until you stop to think about it for like maybe three seconds. But I think like the hypocrisy of this world making no sense is kind of the point that you know, like there you have everyone conditioned to be like to not fret over trivial matters. And that, you know, hey, this this world ma- it makes sense. You're, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be simpatico with your master while also, you know, not being a real human being, like, in any real way. But then you put him through a whole grinder, grinder that's sort of supposed to be entertainment for the people, you know, for the shadow, shadow masters who, are already, who have already gone through this experience. And any dystopia or you know, tyrannical situation, it makes inherently makes no sense because, you know, this is just a capricious world based on capricious values. But I do get how that there's a fine line with that when you're trying to, you know, create a dystopia. I think it works, but there is also a level to which we are kind of getting into like shonen manga trial <laughs> arcness that and that is kind of showing within this arc. I, I like that like just basic interactions and things that, like, the living dolls say to themselves. Like, I do appreciate that the horror of this series is the acceptance that all of this is normal. I, I think that's, like, a really cool, subtle thing that the, the, the series is doing. I feel like that there is a lot to be explored in that type of horror. But, man, I can't wait till they're out of this hedge maze and, like, doing something interesting. Which is bad, because I feel like this is a really, like, important development of, like, multiple characters. It's just, I hate how they're doing it. You're not a fan of, uh, the getting the exams. I mean, yeah, not really. <laughs> also, I... I, I kind of would have been okay if Edward was just like, okay, the Savior Masters take these bells from me. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been okay with that. The choice of the scissors would have been infinitely more interesting. <laughs> You know what's one thing I liked about this arc? Hmm. That someone finally said, like, man, Emiliko's kind of a dumb name. <laughs> it's like, why would you name her that? I just love that more and more people are seeing, like, why she has the nickname Sunshine. And how that turned from, like, a disparaging name to something more, like, way more positive. And she, she just keeps, like, touching the hearts of everyone around her. And just like, oh, you're, I don't need you to help me. And she's like... Well, if you don't want my help, that's fine. I'll here have some oranges and <laughs> throwing oranges at this dude's head. And then I'm gonna hug the box. Oh, and don't forget the flower she gives him. Oh yeah. I'm like really worried. Like at any point in time, I'm really worried about like Kate getting jealous that Emilico has like an easier time connecting with people than she does. Because like it seems like she gets unreasonably angry at her in certain <laughs> situations. Well, I mean. Yes and no, like there, you know, she, she like they kind of, there is this kind of, that kind of point during the like early part of the trial where she's just like, where she realizes, no wait, this is why I like having someone like her as my doll because I actually want someone who is vibrant and lively and is here to help destroy the system as much as I am. Yeah, yo, Rick and Patrick's um, 
Their relationship makes me uncomfortable. I'm just going to come <laughs> right out and say that. I don't like what's going on there. Yeah. There's, like, some weird, like, interplay between the two of them. <laughs> I think it's the case for all of the dolls and masters, but especially them. Yeah. But they kind of, like, take it up to 11. Where it's like, they're just sitting in armchairs across from each other. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the face of me looking smugly down on Don't people. forget that face. <laughs> I mean, that, that, there was some tension there. I'm, I'm, that's all I'm saying. Although, like, man, I think John's got to be, like, the best character to come out of this series so far. <laughs> I, I just love him just confidently proposing to Kate. And then 20 minutes later, just be like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> what was I saying? I'll be king of the house? Like, bro, John never change. Please don't become a rage monster, because it looks like you have the possibility of becoming a rage monster. I'm personally voting John for Shadowmaster 2024. I think as long as we have the Sean-John duo, we'll be alright. Yeah. So, like, two-thirds of the way through, like, the season, uh, I mean, Shadow's House is really solid. Like Overall, like, this has been a really solid season of anime, and, like, none of it was, like, obviously, like, this. oh, this will be, like, the good series. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a good sign for, like, animes getting more diverse now. Well, there was one series that was obviously the good series, though. Ah, uh, you mean the one with, like, the ghost of Satoshi Kone haunting it? Driving a taxi cab, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Could we say that our taxi was obviously good, though? I don't think any of us were, like, going to watch it at first. Yeah. I mean, it's a show that was... Like, Mars Red, we had to, you know, get through the entirety of that first episode to be like, okay... This is something we have on our radar, though we're prepared for it to be bad. I don't know how you get past the opening of Odd Taxi and not realize, okay, this might be something special. It's like, they yeah. tell you so much about characters in that opening. I think it was like immediately after that opening, I was like, all right, time to pitch this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of settling, now, okay, so there's going to be this taxi driver and you know he's going to, you know, have all these people come into his life and, you know, nice, it's going to be some slice of life, maybe a little bit greedier slice of life. This isn't slice of life, guys. N not not when our, our boy, Otokawa, is signing in to possibly do prison time in order to free Shirakawa from her debt and get, uh, get the ape arrested. This is... He's a baboon. Okay. I just want to go on the record and say, I know animals. I might not know metaphors, but I know animals. With your with your high school education. Rob 1, <laughs> Brendan 0. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more like Rob 20, Brendan negative 5. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? It's like that our walrus protagonist is Humphrey Bogart and the Maltese Falcon. Like, this is noir. And with, like, they've been dropping hints that, like, there's something seriously wrong with Otakawa, and he doesn't want people to know about it throughout the series. And, like, with the revelation that, like, yo, there's something going on in his brain, a lot of his actions make sense. He's just trying to enjoy what's left and, like, put his house in order. Man, I respect that. I've seen very few series or works that have as deftly sort of captured the ways that, like, modern society captures and destroys us as, as efficiently as this show has. I mean, you have an entire character who is basically social media's devil and will force you to do terrible things that will ruin your life. And then we also have a character who is basically 
gotcha games are evil and will <laughs> lead you to spend loads of money and waste like four years of life for basically absolutely nothing. That's what you get for playing bad gotcha games. Who plays a game that wouldn't save as soon as you press the pull button. <laughs> that, that wouldn't have it backed up on a fucking server somewhere. Like, Jesus Christ. Actually, that brings me to like a really random thought. The Age of Sigmar app. Uh-huh. You can buy, like, the books and stuff. And, like, I re-downloaded the app on my new tablet, and it says I don't own that book. And I'm, like, giga-tilted. <laughs> Damn. But are you tilted enough to murder? It's, like, Games Workshop, so I don't know what I expected. And I'll just leave that at that and not derail us <laughs> I'd say if we were to rank the shows on, like, most nihilistic to least nihilistic, I mean, it's not a I ton mean, of light, light material here, but... I'd say, like, Shadow House would be probably be one of the more optimistic shows. Okay, actually, let's, 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 <laughs> Okay, let's actually let's strike it. Like, well, no, 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 think of, no, okay. It'd be Shadow's House, Gridman, uh, Mars Red. No, ugh. okay, Mars Red is actually the most optimistic show. What? No! <laughs> okay, okay, there's not a ton of optimism this season. I think but... I was ready to bat for you for Shadow's House. Yeah, actually, no, I think Shadow's House is the most optimistic. But, okay, you know what? <laughs> this point has been entirely derailed. With these shows, this was going to be a list either way. Yeah. Well, I mean, like... But there's I, no correct way but, to list them but with I would, I would say this, like, this show is, like, down with Juran in terms of, like how bleak and nihilistic the worldview is. Particularly, you know, with the gotcha episode where you have this guy who's basically taking a look at how hollow the things that he's been working towards actually makes him feel and understanding that there's like no point left to his life other than this like petty revenge that he's about to sign himself up for. And I just don't find this being anything other than just the most noir noir that you can possibly encounter is this like going on record as like the first furry noir i'm sure there has to be some kind of webcomic that got to this beforehand but yeah but like who reads webcomics good point <laughs> damn I, I was mean... i was expecting some major pushback like i i said that to to cause an argument i think the thing is that we've all moved past our early teens so there's like that's like the only time <laughs> <laughs> I I'd still make an argument that people should read Order of the Stick, but that that only updates like once a month, anyways. If that, you know, the one thing I will say that the show is very good at playing against is your sympathies, both for or against characters. Again, I keep going back to the Gotcha episode, but I think it's <laughs> honestly it's my favorite episode of the entire show. Very early on, it it just tries to paint this this guy as like this sort of sympathetic character who's you know going through a rough patch and you know he gives you his you know horrible backstory horrible traumatic backstory and then you know we see his present where that's not great either even if it's kind of his fault it's kind of all his fault well yeah but then you know you get to the point where to the end of the episode and you know he has become this obsessed like you know 70s psycho thriller protagonist who's off to go just murder literally one guy no matter what the cost to anything man he's probably like one of those guys who like saw the joker and was like yeah yeah that's me 
we live in a society where I don't get the pull dodos. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of hooks you on this, like, this idea that this guy is someone worthy of sympathy when before, you know, the end of the episode, you, and for the rest of the series, he's literally just a monster who's just bound to do something terrible. I do think, like, the show has also done, is probably doing some other tricks with this. Like, for instance, like, Dabu, like, yeah, Dabu seems like a, a total jerk. But he has shown some tiny glimmers that there might be something a little bit more deep to him. And vice versa, like, I still don't know how much on Otakawa's side we should be, given, like, his potential involvement with the disappearance of that high schooler. I feel like he knows something. <laughs> I feel like he definitely knows something. The fact that he's like, yeah, I dropped her off here, made that one uh, dog producer start sweating pretty hard. <laughs> it's like, you know how you mentioned, like, uh, Maltese Falcon. Like, I don't know if anybody, like, in the audience has seen a black and white movie from like what the, like the 1940s <laughs> but you've probably seen plenty of works that have sort of ripped or copied its plot and like I, i'd say like um the protagonist of that this detective named sam spade who like the entire like movie you kind of like expect him to be this like selfish asshole because that's what he's playing to like everybody in front of him and with otakawa we see a bit more of what's underneath but like there are definitely layers to Otakawa that we don't know about. And, like, we're, like, a passive observer that sees everything he does, and he's such a private man that, like, we don't get to see everything about him. So, like, I, I feel like there's still some surprises left for us for his character. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about the series is that, like, the guy who started the series is, like, kind of, like, a little skeevy, but, like, kind of the comic relief character is probably going through, like, one of the rougher arcs of the series. This man is imploding his life and getting 100% honeypotted. He's got himself involved with loan sharks. He then, to get a wedding ring to propose this girl, the girl, of course, has him get knocked on, bonked on the head, and they're probably going to try to get him to ransom money because they think he's a rich dude because he lied on his OkCupid profile. All right, but for real talk, though, I need an evaluation here. What level simp do you have to be to meet someone in an abandoned alley slash parking garage? I feel like this is a completely normal place to meet this person. The kind of simp who would take out Yakuza loans. <laughs> <laughs> so um, like a two. Someone did that for Fate Go. What? Yeah, there was that dude who borrowed a bunch of money from the Yakuza to roll the gacha in Fate Go. Okay, yeah. I, I, <laughs> that broke me. That just straight broke me. Well, again, it's one of those things where this series is putting bare like how desperation for connection can utterly destroy you. Like, social media guy, he very clearly wants to be popular, so he's... He's gone on this war where he's probably pissed off a, Yak a Yakuza, like, assassin. There's an another guy. Kakihana basically decides to ruin his life because it's his last chance to get a potential partner um, that he thinks fits what he deserves as a man. You have... You have the guy who's basically doing irrational things with a winning lottery ticket because... He thinks that as an idol fan, he should cash this money based around the next 
concert for his preferred <laughs> idol group. I'm just waiting for this man to lose his lottery ticket. And then, I mean, even Otakawa himself, you know, is being sort of, like, drawn into a femme fatale figure because he is nearing the end of his life and he wants a connection himself. What an optimistic series. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think it's I think it's bleaker than Juran, and Juran is literally a show about where a character was going to walk into the ocean. She's just going swimming. Night swimming in the rain. <laughs> that jerk-ass bird should have just <laughs> let her drown. It was the one decision she made for herself the entire series. And they took it away. I'm not, I'm not going to get worked up about that. Birds are jerks, that's all. Duran has fallen so much lower than the rest of the series on this list. <laughs> that it's like, we, we just keep coming back to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like Rail Wars or Triage X, where I could probably spend like an entire 40-minute car ride just talking railing against the series. Fun anecdote, there's a person I know, and their first interaction with me was literally just shitting on Rail Wars the entire car ride. And that's just their first impression of me. <laughs> A dude who just did not like this train anime. To be fair, it was one of your most hilarious rants I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Rail Wars is no triage X. I don't know how to take that, Jimmy. <laughs> do, do Even tell. for you, that is dangerous <laughs> ground, Jimmy. So yeah, um, so once in a while, as a group, we like to watch things that aren't anime. I know it's kind of shocking, but it's true. It means we're not true weebs. I mean, we did watch something animated. So, it's technically anime. <laughs> it's based on a on an American comic book. Yeah, but that comic book is black and white, which makes it manga. You know, you're actually making a good argument here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh we watched Invincible, the father of all the pink memes and pet memes and just a lot of memes. And it's. I mean, it's good. Yeah, I think at this point, if you haven't watched Invincible, you've probably heard it's good. You've probably had a couple friends that recommended it to you. You probably don't need us to tell you it's good. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning here on the podcast here because it's kind of an interesting sort of milestone for, I think, American animation. Yeah. As it were, where it's... Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some shit posts in that animation. I think one of my favorite ones is... The unfortunate, because the whole Chicago downtown scene is fantastic for, like, how horrifying it is. But there's a moment where Mark is doing, like, a rolling thing through the street, and you can tell that they did not do enough frames, because it was just kind of, like, moving a still picture of him in a post <laughs> on the street. And it was only there for, like, three seconds, but I've watched it enough at this point showing other people that I can't unsee it. And now our viewers won't be able to miss it either. <laughs> These days, I think the perception that animation is for kids has been somewhat broken You know, over the past 20 years by things like Simpsons, Family Guy, you know, works of Adult Swim. But one of the things that I think hasn't been broken for American animation is the idea that if something is made for adults that it has to be a comedy. We haven't had a ton of shows like that that weren't like, say, a DC animated series ad adaptation. I think the closest would be something like BoJack Horseman, where and even that is still billed as a comedy in order to get greenlit. Yeah. 
Man, that series is fucking depressing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do not watch BoJack alone. <laughs> if you watch BoJack alone, odds are you're going to get a night swimming with Yukimura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas I think Invincible is interesting in that we've gotten what I would say is one of the first times I've seen like an adult's battle drama that has been made for an adult audience. Yeah, I really can't think of too many others other than maybe like Castlevania. And man, just segue, at some point we need to talk about and watch Season 4 Castlevania. Because I may or may not have watched it in one day, in one Damn. sitting with P- Pat. Wait, can you tell me one thing? Yeah. Did they finally include my boy Grant Dynasty? No, Dynasty Damn. does not show up. I don't think they had time. Damn. That was my one wish for this entire series. <laughs> but there's going to be spinoffs, so we might get Dynasty in a spinoff. Okay. Yeah, like, other than, like, Castlevania, like, I can't really think of, like, too many others. Man, it does it so well. Like, one thing I kind of want to do is, I've seen the first episode of Invincible more times than I care to admit, because of how many people I started on it, and I have seen that fight against the Guardians of the Globe so many times that, like, at this point, I want to do a breakdown of where the Guardians fucked up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, other than... I think the biggest mistake out of everything, Red Rush going on the offense. If he stayed on defense the entire time, there is not a whole lot Omni-Man could do to actually score killing blows. The only reason why Red Rush went down is the obvious attack pattern. Other than that, I'd say the biggest mistake, the actual biggest mistake other than, like, tactics, was the really optimistic sneak attack by Dark Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Like... If he just stayed on support, mm-hmm. throwing distractions to like let people get licks in, he would have been perfect. What the fuck are you going to do to Omni-Man as a regular-ass dude jumping from the shadow? What did you think would happen there? I mean, literally at any point, that is someone who should not go in for melee <laughs> against a super-powered person like that. Yeah. This is like one of the things that... Batman wouldn't be caught dead doing. Yeah, Batman wouldn't jump in at... You know, one time Batman jumped in at Superman? Um, He had a power suit, and he also had the green arrow ready with a a kryptonite arrow to shoot at him from, like, a fucking city block away. (laughs) Nah, dude. Nah, I think the Guardians of the Globe definitely could have taken him, especially if, like, my boy Red Rush. Yeah. (laughs) He did so much damage in just a moment's time. (laughs) They, they could have got there. They could have. Yeah. yeah. Red Rush on defense. Darkwing, Fishman, playing ranged. Yeah. Locking him down. Just works out. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like um, the death of Martian Dude was, like, inevitable. Because his only real contribution to a fight with nothing to throw, because his main superpower seems to be stretch and throw, is holding him down for a bit. Yeah, I think he was always going to get his brain core ripped out of his body <laughs> yeah one thing i'll say uh, like the fights are great like i mean some like some the fight between mark and his dad is if you mix something out of dbz with the graphic violence of watchmen and it is one of the things that i find super interesting about this show is that it does seem to be like sort of balancing itself on top of like the work that was done by the DC animated universe in terms of like, you know, setting up a, like a world full of cartoon violence and maybe just a little tiny bit of avatar mixed yeah. in with there. 
But then the sudden burst of that reality ensuing, here's how someone using heat vision or or landing this way would actually do to a human body, that this cartoon violence doesn't just, you know, leave people alive. It, you know, actually, Superman punching someone would incinerate someone from the inside. Like, there's that scene in the second episode where, like, Omni-Man's on the alien dimension, and he just flies really, really fast and just fucking decimates the city. Yo, yeah, that's, that's how that would work. <laughs> so... It's definitely a good show. It yep. makes me really excited about Bo- The Boys Season 3. I mean, they're not the same, but they are definitely very similar. <laughs> well, yeah, and there is a level to which Watchmen, again, is the comparison point. Um, and I, I will say, like, Rob, you did finally win this argument. In retrospective, there's a way that you can get that sort of, like, Hiroshima-esque carnage without having to use a dumb giant squid. The Chicago, the Chicago decimation is as horrifying as Chapter Twelve of Watchmen, and without any of the stupidity. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, but Brendan, I appreciate that so much. Yeah. And the less said about the other thing, the other revelation about that, the better. Are, are, are we talking about how, like, I gaslit you for like nearly like a decade and a half, telling you that I never read the comic, but I was able to just have like all of these arguments about things that happened in the comics. Yeah. I spent a decade trying to get you to read Watchmen, and then... (laughs) I think it was around the time I was working at a comic book store, and you're like, you work here now, you have to read it. And I just turned to him like, Brendan, I have news for you. No, 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 it wasn't you. Don't don't, don't pretend like... Oh, wait, no, it was Rory who pointed it out, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) He hit you with the, how could he possibly have not read it? Yeah, and it was... (laughs) Like, Rory was just like, Brendan, I, I have something to tell you. Think about that situation for a <laughs> think single... Brendan, think, <laughs> Brendan, think! Am I a terrible person? No, 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 no. You, <laughs> this is just the cost of knowing you. Oh, I think that makes me a terrible person. <laughs> the one thing I kind of want to talk about Invincible as sort of a negative, and this is less a negative about the show, but more about, like, the state of where we are with American animation is that this is a great step forward. You know, having like more shows like Invincible would be a great thing because I'd like to see more cool like fights and you know things maybe not tied up with the you know Marvel or DC IPs since I kind of think those behemoths have gotten out of hand. I do think I am still a bit sad that it does have to be tied to superheroes and that we can't quite yet get the cozy slice of life anime or something like odd taxi all right so i I am gonna have like the perfect rebuttal here about not having a cozy slice of life king of the hill exists king of the hill does exist and it is the best american anime we can agree on that king of the hill is still billed as a comedy i mean okay but hear me out most slice of life is comedy except for maybe like jimmy's favorite anime of all time honda girl (laughs) I'd say, I would actually say that a lot of Slice of Life is drama, like, you know, something like Silver Spoon is drama. Ah, you're talking about those boys. Yeah, it's hard to think of an animation that's a straight drama. Get on it, people. (laughs) And and, and, hey, here's the thing is, like, I think this is something that will happen as, you know, more cool shows like Invincible find success, because let's be honest, like, in terms of meme value, 
Invincible had a lot of uh, penetration. I don't know how I feel. I feel very uncomfortable hearing you to say the word penetration. I mean, it's what uh, Omni Man did to his son's chest. Oh boy! See, see, you see, when you said penetration, you were looking me in the eyes, and I honestly flashed back the Rick and Patrick from Shadow's House with the same level of uncomfortableness. <laughs> <laughs> Do not leave me alone with this. <laughs> That's my lowbrow joke of the week. So, Super Cub, it is straight up kind of a Honda commercial, and is surprisingly a really nice slice of life, with gorgeous backgrounds, and it's a surprisingly quiet series. Like, main girl's a pretty sad girl. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, it's just cool how there's just, like, quite a few moments of just silence, and her just, like, doing things, and eventually, like, getting on the bike and turning on the engine for the first time, or, like, doing something like on the way home from school, taking a different turn so that you can go to a different supermarket to buy curry that's slightly cheaper is something that will just, like, light up her life and, like, it completely changes the color palette of the show from, like, this dull kind of gray to, like, having real colors and stuff. That sounds surprisingly deep for a Honda commercial. It is surprisingly deep. Also, her Honda is a murderer. What? (laughs) In the first episode, like, she gets her Honda... Super Cub for super cheap because apparently three people died in an accident relating to it. Is it haunted? <laughs> That's a good question. I would love it if, like, the entire series was super chill and, like, the last episode is just, like, spooky ghosts. <laughs> but yeah, like, if you want a pretty good slice of life, Super Cub. I will take that recommendation, especially given the fact that that was what I was just complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my favorite scenes was, uh, one of the episodes, she gets a part-time job for her school where she's running documents back and forth during the summer. And on the way to the school, she gets rained on, and she doesn't have any material for that. So on the way back, she stops at a shop, buys a rain jacket, and when she makes it back to the school, she kind of, like, gets off her bike, stares triumphantly at the skies, and says, take that in her rain jacket. So this is like a person just getting, like, the small victories and enjoying uh-huh. things like that man all right i'm in i'm in <laughs> this is probably one of the most successful pitches of your life. this sounds like a way better yuru camp and yuru camp is already okay and good uh-huh. like, can, can i make a personal confession uh-huh. i haven't watched yuru camp you should you should well it's kind of like the thing like yuru camp is like more of a comedy than i'd say like a slice of life i i would agree on that especially since it mostly is like char- small character gags yeah but that's my Honda commercial shilling for this week. And I guess that brings us to the end of the podcast. So you can follow us online at zeropointsarticulated.com. I'll lead you to an anchor page with links to social media and various other stuff there. And you can send us an email at zeropointsarticulated at gmail.com. We hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, we'll be back next month with another entry, hopefully finishing off uh, the season and a little bit of a discussion about uh, what we're going to be watching next season. And hopefully yeah. Eric won't be dead. <laughs> hopefully. I don't know. Well, doesn't this recording schedule kind of take him to when he'd get a second shot? Actually, it kind of does. <laughs> exactly four weeks from today. Okay, I think we, we've learned our lesson here. we got to outrun the shot, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully Eric is alive yeah. for the next well, one. Like, if it's like mine, he has a 12-hour window. It was great. There was a play-by-play. Where, like, I woke up and he's like, okay, I just got my shot. 
So, like, just be aware, I might be dead tomorrow. He's like, I'm feeling fine now, though. And then, like, four hours later, he's like, man, my arm kind of hurts. And four hours later, he's like, man, we shouldn't hang out today. I can't drive. I'm dead. <laughs> By, like, four in the morning, he sent me a message. He's like, I can't sleep. Oh, God, please go on without me. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like he had, like, second shot symptoms on his first shot. Because that's, again, as I said, the waking nightmare of having Vape Duck manipulate the events of Fifty Shades of Grey for his own sick pleasure. No one deserves it. Zero Points Articulated is distributed by Anchor, audio engineering, and co-directed by James Morales, produced and co-directed by Robert Marchant, episode composition and editing by Amy Lepresti, and along with the usual suspects and contributors, Brendan Buck and Eric Deline.